Hey gang, welcome back to another episode of Let's Level Up. I'm your host, Rick Perez, and on the episode today, I've got with me my good buddy, Scott Morris. Rick Perez. I don't think I've ever called you Rick. Rick. <laughs> Ricky. I guess on election night, that's kind of important since we're it recording is. this on election night. You're like, this is Rick Perez reporting to you live. from. <laughs> yeah, I am senior Let's Level Up correspondent Rick Perez here reporting live from San Angelo, Texas. Seniors because of your age, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Rick, Ricky, whatever. Ricardo, Ricardo is my given name, but uh, you born know, in Texas, so Ricardo works fine. <laughs> yeah, actually, California. I was born in California. Yeah, I didn't know that. What part of California? Southern California, Garden Grove, California. Garden Grove. I've never been to Garden Grove, California. Is it nice, or is that why you left? Uh, well, I I left because my mom wanted us to grow up um, in a smaller town, and she was she was born in Pecos, Texas, which is about an hour away, but raised in San Angelo, so she always liked it here. Um, it was just, she didn't like the big city, and things were kind of, uh, I had an older brother that got into some trouble, and things were kind of sketchy there, so she basically just moved the whole family out while, while the getting was good. And your life story is like a country song. It is, yeah, it is, it really <laughs> It is. I was waiting for my dog to get dead. Wanted a bigger life. Yeah. <laughs> it may be more Beverly Hillbillies, but but opposite. A little bit, yeah. Right? <laughs> Pecos Hillbillies. There you go. <laughs> well, before we get into this, I wanted to really quickly. We are like I don't know five years late to this whole thing, but I finally <laughs> started a Patreon, and um, I'm looking at some of my equipment that I've got, and it's basically the equipment I paid for. Uh, you know, everything with the channel and everything with the podcast and the, the hosting fees and everything is out of my pocket. And uh, money is uh, a lot tighter right now for me than it has been the last couple years. So um, I thought maybe now would be a good time to, to ask for a little help. So we started a Patreon. Um, again, really late to it. I understand there's a lot of you guys already right now that are, uh, that are helping and supporting a ton of other people. Um, if you can find it in your budget, I would love your support. Go to patreon.com forward slash let's level up. Uh, we've got a dollar tier package. Um, I, I'm looking for suggestions on how we should shape our reward tiers and all that. So as you guys look at the page, let me know what works, what doesn't work. I'm new to the whole thing. I've never really uh, tried to do any sort of crowdfunding for the channel before. So um, let me know what you guys think. Again, it's patreon.com forward slash let's level up. There'll be a link of it on let's level up.net as well. Um, the other thing I wanted to quickly state is uh, just basically some some get well soon or some well wishes to Mr. George Bell, proprietor of Specialties Games, Toys, and Hobbies in San Angelo, Texas. Um, George got some uh, some scary news back today, uh, but he is extremely optimistic about everything, and um, I, I don't want to put his... Uh, his medical history out there for the world, but just know, George, that over here in Let's Love Love, we're thinking about your buddy, and uh, can't wait for you to um, to kick this thing's butt. Uh, that being said, that's all, that's all my news. That's my that's my talking points out of the way, Scott. We can get back to you, buddy. <laughs> this does not have to be about me, no. <laughs> oh, oh, come so, on. I mean, yeah, definitely good wishes to George for sure, and doing the the whole Patronus or Patreon thing or whatever it is is a good thing. So. Patronus. Every time I hear the word Patreon, all I think of is Patronus, right? It's it's weird. What would your Patronus be? Uh, my Patronus would probably uh, would probably be a dodo bird. A um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'd like to say it would be Voltron, but like, that doesn't fit. And I would say it's probably more of a phoenix, I would say. A I, phoenix. I, I like a phoenix. 
Uh, Fox was always one of my favorite characters, actually, in Harry Potter and the books and how they described him, the, the phoenix that Dumbledore had. So going going a little geek there, showing I still have a little street cred every once in a while. <laughs> hey, it's, it's more than me in the Harry Potter universe, man. I am, I am Harry Potter ignorant. I know what a Patronus is. Uh, my I, my wife has all of the Blu-rays and all the books and everything. She loves it, and uh, I, I never I never really got into it myself. It just seemed a little too, um, uh, not even YA, but it seemed like a children's story, which I understand it is a children's story. And I kind of started at that, and you know, kind of grew up a little bit out of it. And it's funny, I I never got into it. Like when we have a daughter who's 24 now and when she was younger was when the books were you know just kind of starting and everything and she uh she loved them and my, my wife got them and we read them to her and everything and she read some of them on her own and all that and i never really got into it i mean it was an okay story and everything but uh it really wasn't until a couple of years ago my wife and i went to london and we decided to take a day trip to the studios where harry potter was filmed oh but that was cool pretty amazing i mean for me and, and i'm i'm weird like this i like i love the business of making fun and it's really cool to like see all the behind the scenes stuff and all the things that they went through like a lot of the things they talked about was how these kids as kid actors kind of grew up and how you know the the crew and you know boom grips and all these people were their family and everything it was just it was really interesting to see the business side of how that all came together, and I uh, I got a lot more respect for the people that you know went through putting that that just absolute saga together. So it was pretty cool. So saga is a good way to describe it. I I have been called a, a Harry Potter hater, uh, but man, you you cannot deny its passionate fan base. And I, I guess I could equate it to me growing up. I was obsessed with the X Men, um, okay. and I guess that is that is. Uh, maybe uh, late teen, early twenties. That's 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 their saga. That's your Star Wars, right? I mean, you grew up with the Star Wars thing uh, and yeah. Voltron and all that stuff. I mean, you 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 live and die for that. Uh, and there's that's people like that with Harry. I'm older than him. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, you've got what like ten. 30 years on me, right? So I don't look at day over fabulous, so it's all good. <laughs> that's right. You're one of the best looking guys in this hobby, that's for sure. <laughs> that's not saying much. <laughs> oh man, I almost spit water all over my keyboard right there. That'd be bad. <laughs> Get a new level for your Patreon, then. <laughs> there we go. Oh uh, man, uh, you just got back from Essen. How was that? Uh, oh wow, Essen, Essen was amazing. Uh, this was my third Essen. And it just, it, it's, you know, we, a lot of times in America, you know, we always talk about how like Gen Con gets bigger and bigger and, and Origins gets bigger and bigger. And, and there's just, there's no way to scale it to the size of Essen. Um, I think the last person that I had talked to that had anything to do with the actual like show and running the show was saying that there was somewhere upwards of around 175,000 people. Holy crap. And, yeah, and like to put that in perspective, you know, that's like three times the size of Gen Con. Sounds insane. Like you can't breathe at Gen Con or walk around at Gen Con. It's 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 crazy. I, I love Essen though. I, I think it's not my it's not my favorite show. My favorite show of all is the UK Games Expo. Um, but Essen is very unique because it, it's first off, it's such a different culture in terms of how people interact at the shows and, and what happens. 
like you go to Gen Con and it's two in the morning and people are playing games on the sidewalk. I mean, it's just yeah. Everywhere you go, there's people playing games. And at Essen, like seven o'clock comes. First off, the hall is open way later. The hall is open until seven p.m., not like four or five p.m. And at seven p.m. comes, and it's like it's like somebody turned on the light and the cockroaches scatter. It's like everybody <laughs> just disappears. It's like the whole city. There's no one there. And it boggles my mind. Like you'll you'll go into a couple of the hotels and see people playing in the hotels in the lobby and stuff. But even then, it's not like at Gen Con where it's like people sitting on top of people sitting on top of people playing games. It's yeah. it's a completely different culture. It's like uh, the European consumer just goes and gets their games, and they're like, "Okay, we're going to go home now. <laughs> we're going to go home and play these games with our friends." Yeah, crazy. Um, but it's cool. It's it's a great vibe. Um, there was just a absolute games that came out the the final count that i heard was north of 1400 new games that's insane i mean it literally and this is my like livelihood and i think it's ridiculous it, it's just so much and, and and our joke was 1400 new games no one will care about next year because <laughs> they, just, they won't make the the cut, right? You know, right. And, well, the, and we the, saw it this year too. There was a bunch of people. There, there's very much how, like in America, there's a lot of you know retailers that will go to shows to sell their stock. There are a lot of like overstock retailers at Essen that kind of uh, make up the perimeter of, of some of the halls, and there were people that had like literally pallets of games that were new releases last year that everyone was like clamoring for. And they were like five euros, 10 euros. They were just like selling them for like pennies on the dollar. That's crazy. Yeah. That's insane. And you know, next year there's going to be what, like there's going to be 1800 released, right? I mean, it's just, I hope not. I mean, I hope like if there was, if there's anything I could just like snap my fingers and change about our industry right now is, is just the, the overall, consumption rate at which people are attempting to consume this stuff and 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 i've argued this for a very long time i think the majority of people that are really in tune with the board game industry right now they're not gamers they are gamers but they're not like prime gamers they're collectors first and they're gamers second i'm guilty of this myself i'm sure you i am as well yeah how many games do you have in shrink Right, I got like twenty at any given time that are in shrink that haven't been punched out and haven't been set up and just haven't had time to to play them yet. And but I want them and I gotta have them. Right. <laughs> like you know, it, it's it's pretty tough. So it's it's weird because we we say we're a gaming industry. Smart companies are the ones that are making products that are designed to be more of a collectible piece. And I don't I don't mean that in the sense of like Magic the Gathering is collectible or, or Force of Will is collectible, not like an actual collectible card game or anything like that. I mean, making a product that has a unique component or a unique piece or something to it that makes you got to have it right now. So Yeah. I mean, there's, there, yeah, there just seems like this... I, I felt the market was a bit saturated a couple years ago. Uh, and, and now it's just like, oh, okay, well, this is just going to be the new normal again and, and until there's a crash which I hope isn't coming anytime soon, right? I don't think there's a crash coming. There's a lot of people that want to say, you know, the bubble's going to burst, bubble's going to burst. I I think that that's not 
very accurate. I think that's a lot of people who think they know about business and, and want to sound like they're smart and they understand what's going oh, on. No, no, no. Sorry, that's what I mean. I mean a lot of people who are into the hobby right now and they're going to find out that they're going to just be losing money because they can't they can't move all this product they're trying to print. Uh, yeah. And yeah. you're going to see a lot of people go away, right? You're, and you're going to have the people that stand the test of time uh, five years from now who, who have been here for the last 10. Um, yeah. I actually, I call it a water balloon effect. So... You know, people keep saying, oh, it's going to pop, it's going to pop. And I'm like, nope, it's not going to pop. Just take a water balloon and squeeze the bottom of it. And what happens? All the all the water on the bottom gets pressurized. All, all the people at the bottom who are already small and already tight get tighter and, and even more pressure. But what happens to the stuff on top is it expands and it grows and it gets bigger and gets larger. And the same thing's kind of happening, right? I, I think, and we're seeing it at all levels. I think it's happening at the distribution level. I think it's happening at the retailer level. I think it's happening at the publisher level. I think it's happening to a degree at the consumer level too. I, I think that when you look at it from a business standpoint, the small guys who have a challenge, uh, whether it be financial or resource or whatever it may be, all that stuff's getting squeezed. I mean, a year and a half ago, if somebody had said to me, like, you know, how good is Austin for the Austin for the board game market where I live in Austin, Texas? I would have been like, oh, it's amazing. We have like all these stores and it's like so good and there's such a good community. And we've lost several stores in the last year and a half and, and stores that were good and stores that you wouldn't think, oh, these guys are going to go out of business and shutter their doors any moment. Uh, and we may we may lose one or two more. I mean, just, you know, partly due to economic factors, but partly due to the fact that it's it's impossible, almost impossible from a retail standpoint. You know, if we had Scott and Rick's card shop or Rick and Scott's, whichever we want to go. Um, but if, <laughs> if we had our, our comic and card shop and we were we were trying to pick out new games and you came to me and said, hey, Scott, there were 1,400 new games released at Essen. Like the physical space, even if you only got one copy of each of those games and put it in your store, how many game stores that have the physical space for that? So what do you have to do? You have to like pick and choose, right? You got to be like, okay, I've got to, I got to go after the top stuff, the stuff that's the highest rated on BGG or the stuff that's highest rated on Twitter or whatever it may be. And, and even then you don't know if you're getting it right or not. And it's, it's pretty, it's a pretty crazy volatile market right now. So I think the next two years are going to be really important to the market correcting itself. And I, I think a lot of that's going to happen in the, the short term. Yeah, I think you're right. I think I mean I think you're right about a lot of things. To be fair, I mean, I've I've done no. Uh, awesome. This was recorded, and I now have you saying I think. Right. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess you didn't listen to the episode with with Michael Abrahamson. We basically just made it a uh, let's kick let's kick uh, Scott Morris's ass for a half hour and nice. talk to sung your praises. Uh, but yeah, that would be a good one for you to fall asleep to tonight. Is both of us basically saying Funny. Scott's the best, isn't he? And Mike's like, yeah, he really is. <laughs> Michael's a good guy. I'm I'm really excited for him. He's got his first game signed with a company right now, and they're developing it. And they got they got some good stuff coming out. Yeah, we talked about it. Uh, uh, he mentioned that you may be getting a a, a co, um, what is it? What did he say? Co creator or co or at least a mention in the, in the book? Or, yeah, yeah, co developer. Yeah, I, I help with some development stuff on it. Yeah, but it's it's really it's all him. It's 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 like ninety percent, ninety five percent him. I I just kind of help put some finishing touches and some ideas along his way. So. I, uh, I, I, 
Mike's a great guy. I, I ran into him completely randomly. Uh, I mean, it's 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 almost like fate brought us together. So it was uh, it was really good to see him kind of you know make the whole journey from you know hey I'm an aspiring designer to, to now actually being you know signed by someone and, and have it under development fully and, and get it you know published and out there, which is really cool. That's sweet. Um, speaking of publishing. Um, those who who are not who did not back whelps to worms the game is printed nice it is out there uh there is an issue with shipping uh but that is uh, always an issue with shipping in this industry <laughs> yeah well unfortunately it is not a uh it, it's a money issue with shipping um in that there's oh, well, not a lot a money of money issue. it's not a shipping issue <laughs> yeah so yeah it is a money issue uh, but the games are the games exist allegedly i haven't seen them uh, you can write but... <laughs> a book about this whole experience. I mean, you really you you've kind of been up and down the road on that one. I yeah, I don't know what I'm gonna do when I actually get to hold a copy of it in my hands. Like I I don't know. Probably smile. It'll feel really good. Yeah, yeah. I hope. I, I may just break That's down. Funny. I backed it. I was like a day one backer of that game. So. You were. Yeah, you were. Thank you for that. Back way too much, but that's okay. <laughs> you back a lot, yeah, yeah. He, he, Scott do. only bats backs the best games. Uh, if you aren't aware, I tried to. I actually, I, I went back. I, it's funny. A friend of mine asked me about how many Kickstarters that you back do you actually play within the first month, and I, uh, I'm anal about this. I have this app called BG Stats, and I record all my plays or yeah, as do. many as I, I can. And I started going back and looking at it. And I thought it would be a small number. I thought it would only be like maybe 20 or 25%. But it was like 65% plus that I played within the first month. And surprisingly, even more than that, in the last year, but um, in the last year, over, I think it was 70% of what I backed, I still have. And I haven't like sold it or given it away or traded it or anything. Um, whereas if I go back like two or three years ago, like it's like 40%. So it, it's definitely the games for me are, are sticking more and, and getting better for me and, and staying on my shelf longer, which is good. Oh, that's awesome. Has there been anything that's just blown you away lately? Um, I really like Cloud Spire. Uh, the one from uh, the guys who made too many bones chip theory games. Mm. Um, Cloud Spire is really unique. It's what I love about their games. Their their games, you know, a lot of times when you sit down, especially if we're like really heavy gamers, you sit down and you go, oh, this game is like this. Or, or have you played this? Okay, great. So now I know how to start teaching you this game. You can't really do that with chip theory games because their games are so unique and so different. The, the mechanics are familiar and, and the kind of how it does what it does is familiar, but... It, it's what it's doing that is very different, very unique. And Cloud Spire is really cool. Um, Tidal Blades is really cool. I mean, I think everybody and their brother is back, backing that one now. That's uh, James Hudson and uh, Druid City Games, uh, which is part of the Skybound franchise. Um, the art in that is just beautiful. Mr. Cuttington did the artwork, and it's just – it's. It's gorgeous, and I love the fact that they're trying to world build with it. You know, they're doing more than than just that game. They're actually doing other games with that artwork or in that universe, which is really kind of cool. I'm a I'm a big believer in, you know, you you hook people and you you get them into stuff like that, and and you just you get more and more acceptance and more and more people getting into it. Um, my personal favorite that I'm backing right now is actually Skulk Hollow. 
um, which the full title, according to Kickstarter, is Skulk Hollow, an asymmetric two-player game with epic meeples. Um, <laughs> cool. So, so Skulk Hollow is a game that is done by Ed Baroff and his company Pencil First. Um, I I love Ed as a person. I like like Ed is in my like top ten favorite people in board gaming. Um, and Skulk Hollow, he showed it to me at Origins two years ago when it was like pen and paper and, you know, real basic stuff. And he was, you know, showing me how some of the ideas work and we played a game and I was like, man, this is badass. <laughs> like, this is just, I love the idea of it. Like you have all these like little animal warriors who are like fighting against this other player who is a monster and they have to like jump on his leg and like break his leg and they have to like jump up onto his back and break his arm. And it's, it's really cool. (laughs) And you take away different abilities, right? Like if you injure his leg enough, then he can't stomp you. Or if you injure his arm, he can't throw you and things like that. And it's kind of like, if you could imagine like, Boxes running up to like Godzilla and trying to attack him. That's what this game is like. <laughs> just that sounds like so much fun, right? So and and Ed was part of it. Uh, Keith Metchka was part of it. The person behind uh, Role Player, oh, yeah. which is one of my top five games of all time from from Kickstarter. I, I think Role Player is fabulous. So yeah, I'm I'm really personally very very excited about Skull Hollow. Yeah, I'll need to check that. I've actually purposely stayed away from kickstarter as much as i can just because i know i can't uh i'll just fall in love with something and get depressed that i can't have it so <laughs> i haven't I'll tell you what it hard. kills me how expensive some of the stuff is like right now i only have four active pledges and it's 465 dollars wow it's crazy right i mean and and some of it is you know going all in with like every option that i can get on some of them but i'm you know i mean like skull call was only like 40 bucks or 45 bucks or something like that but like i did like the deluxe version of title blades i did the the all-in thing on cloud spire and it's just you know some, some of that stuff can get really really expensive on stuff but i think that's the fun thing about kickstarter it offers publishers that option right you know if it's yeah. like uh dragon boats I, I backed dragon boats from uh maple studios uh, maple games and and dragon boats is great but it's it's probably like a you know 50 60 dollar game but the deluxe was like a 100 bucks when everything was said and done and it's cool because you you know for traditional publishing before kickstarter for you to get something deluxe or something super awesome and epic you usually had to like release the game and have it sell like multiple, multiple thousands of units before it became profitable and the publisher went, okay, maybe we could do something special. Um, like I remember Takanoko, right? Like from like five, six years ago, Takanoko. Oh, the king size version. Wood thing, right? That yeah. giant, like, you know, I'm going to hit you in the head with a panda bowling ball, you know, <laughs> like it was huge. Um, and and that, was, that was what it took. It took them selling like, you know, hundreds of thousands of units of that game to make that deluxe set. Whereas Kickstarter now has opened it up so much more that people can be like, look, I have this crazy idea. And if you guys pay me enough money, we'll make it. Yeah. Right? That's, <laughs> that's cool. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome, man. I, I really enjoy that. Uh, that, that, that. Just the option from a consumer standpoint, too, is really cool. Right, like if you if you like all the glitz and glam and you could afford that, then great, spend it. But if you want to get the experience uh, and you and you don't want to shell out the extra money for it, um, you know you have those avenues too. And I think that's 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 really awesome. What I find most interesting about Kickstarter is that 
and and this is more so on the board game side than anything else. And, I, and I've played around with Kickstarter. I've, I've I've looked at you know entertainment projects. I've looked at clothing projects and things like that. Um, but from the board game side, this is really interesting. There's and you'll appreciate this obviously having gone through the whelps and the worms thing. There's almost like a template that the average Kickstarter backer expects a publisher or project owner to put into play on day one, right? They, they expect you to have a video of the game. They expect you to have reviews of the game from third-party sites. They expect you to have a rule book. Like, that's one of the ones that is amazing to me that, like, there's, there's people, and, and I completely understand this viewpoint. If you don't have a rule book, you're not done with the game. Right. Maybe. I mean, maybe they have a rule book and they just don't have it like pretty like, you know, that that's a thing because it, it's not it doesn't just magically whip itself together after you put it together in a word. Um, but <laughs> there, there is kind of like it's funny. I akin it to this. I worked for 16 years in large corporate America and there was always this kind of underlying thing of if you're not at your desk, you're not working. Right. And that's kind of the same thing with Kickstarter. Oh, if you don't have this, you must be lying. Like you're you're not done. You're, there's no way you're, you're done with that. Right. Um, the uh, the other thing is print and play. And this this is the thing that gets me the most. Like if you don't have print and play files of maybe not the whole game or just, just something like you know, just basic one turn or two turn things, there are people who will lambast project owners for that. And it just. But at the same time, I've talked to project owners and, you know, you can you know develop those things where you have trackable links and see how many downloads you get. And they're like, yeah, I, I did that. And I had like four people download it or I had like eight people download it. But I got like 3000 backers. And I'm like, why is that so important then? <laughs> You're talking about less than a point oh one percent. It's just amazing to me. But yet. There is there is a bit of entitlement and there is a bit of groupthink going on where people are like, oh, if they don't have this, they're not they're not they don't have their their pants on straight. They're they're all over the place, right? That's so, that's everywhere though. I mean, it's <laughs> that is that to a degree, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We, we've got a uh, we we talked about it a bit when Lance was on the show, but there's there's a there's some pretty crazy mob mentality going on just all over everything. Uh, and and it, I mean, heck, it's election day. Just look what's going on in America right now. Oh yeah, <laughs> I know it's crazy. It's crazy. It's pretty nuts. So, I might. I don't want to get too political here because I always try to keep that that, that outside of of what I do for fun. But uh, I'm I'm actually super impressed right now how close the Texas Senate race is. I, I mean, I haven't looked at any of the results or anything in the last half hour since we started recording. But uh, it's pretty crazy. It's and, impressive, and, man. Know, it's impressive. To a degree, and here's here's the interesting thing, because I was talking with my son about this tonight. I have a 13-year-old son, and we were kind of talking through some of the stuff. This is kind of the first election that he's really paying attention to or, or you know, at least understanding kind of what's happening to it, which is kind of neat to see. And and he's like, wow, this is so close. There's like, you know, like 2,000 votes separating these people. And I'm like, yeah, it's amazing. And I, I made the comment. I'm like, the scary part about this is – it means that whoever wins just barely wins. And, and this is the case in like several states right now, Florida yeah. and, and Texas. And and I told him, I said, it shows me that as a country, we're still really divided. Like we are really divided. There are people who are just on one side of the fence and there's people who are on the other side of the fence and there's not a lot of people coming together in the middle. <laughs> so... It's, uh, I, don't, I don't know if anybody is. I mean, I, I, I am. Uh, I say that. Uh, I know I, I am not a, 
uh, a red or a blue guy. I don't I don't agree I ride, with. I'm purple. I ride the fence, man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I I think it's it should always be up to the candidate. I think if you vote straight ticket either way, you're making a mistake. Uh, but I know people out there. I look through my Twitter feed, and some people that I really like in the board game business will say, "If your husband's a Republican, divorce him," or <laughs> "If you're going to vote red, unfriend me now. I hate you." Just like that's, wow. those are literal quotes. Uh, well, never unfriend anybody for their political views. I may unfriend insane. social views and, and socioeconomic views, but like, I mean, when it comes down to stuff, I don't know. I just, I don't get wrapped around the, I, I kind of live my life along the means of do what you want with you and yours and leave me and mine alone. So, right. Yeah. No, I'm the same exact way. I'm the same way. I mean, it's if you, you leave my family out of this and uh, let's have some fun. And please, let's start talking to each other once again because we seem to have lost the ability to do that. It's crazy. That's why I love board games so much, right? And it's like I've had a lot of people that I've connected back up with from my corporate life, and and they get amazed when I tell them that I have a career in board games. And because, first off, they just don't think they're a thing anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like Monopoly, right? You know, you mean uh, that's that's a game on the Switch or something? What is what is board games? Exactly. I've had a lot of people do that. I've had a lot of people go, you into video games, right? I'm like, no, board games, board game. That was a board game. You know, (laughs) but uh, but that's what I love about them is that, you know, and I've I've long said this. and I'll, I'll probably continue to say this until the day I die is that we're all equal at the table. Yep. And that's what I love about gaming is that you can sit down with people who have a completely different cultural upbringing, a completely different religious upbringing, uh, pers- different perspectives on lives, and yet you can sit around a table and, and play something like Skulk Hollow or Tidal Blades and, and, and come together with a common goal and a common cause and work together or compete against each other in a friendly way to do those things and and that's and i love that right i mean it doesn't matter if you have a handicap it doesn't matter i mean heck it doesn't matter if you're blind anymore there's a game nyctophobia that you can play if you're blind it's just (laughs) it's amazing to me how much opportunity there is inside of board gaming to bring people together And, and you know we always we're always looking at digital screens and we're always you know head down looking at phones or ipads or whatever it may be and I think that that's the appeal of games. And it's funny that not many people have really latched onto this from a media perspective. You know, they always want to talk about the renaissance and board gaming. But I really feel that the the true crux of it is that the younger generation, the, the millennials or whatever you want to call them, they want experiences. They're, they're not about material things. They're, they're always a you know, sector of the, the group that is about material things. But the majority, I think, are about the experience. And that's what board games provide. I mean, they are a physical thing and you can own them and you can collect a bunch of them. But at the end of the day, it's about making memories. It's about doing things with other people that create a story for you in your personal life. And I, I that's like it doesn't get any higher for me on that. I think it's awesome. I think it's awesome too, man. And I love I love when you tell people that you make memories because uh, I always if, if when you die, I'm going to be like, yeah, you know what Scott taught me? how to make memories and then i'm gonna gonna start saying it Uh, like (laughs) i'm the one that gave you the idea like yeah back when i met scott i told him scott you know you should get out of corporate america and you should start making memories and he said geez rick i love that idea i made a lot of memories in corporate america they weren't good (laughs) but i made a lot of memories (laughs) oh yeah man uh 
I, I, I said this before on the podcast, and I'll say it again, man. I, you returning my email that time I reached out to you out of the blue uh, is one of the coolest things that's ever happened to me and is really what's, <laughs> what stoked my, my fire to kind of get into this uh, outside of just the consumer aspect of gaming and actually start trying to, to, to create something and to, to, to help find my voice there. So I will always be indebted to you that way, man. Well, you can send the check to my Patreon address. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> Scott makes memories. Slash, yeah. I never did that. I. Uh, it's funny. I had a lot of people. I actually had a guy at Essen came up to me. Um, it's funny. I was I was in line at Hub Games and I was buying a copy of Holding On, which if you haven't seen it, go check it out. It's one of the most amazing and possibly divisive games that I've, I've ever seen. Um, it's a story about a man who is on his deathbed and you have to keep him, you know, do your best to keep him healthy and keep him alive. But at the same time, provide oh, this yeah. thing, palliative care, which is like emotional care. And, and the more emotional care you give him, the more information you get about his life and his stories. And it's, it's such a morbidly beautiful game. And, and I, I've known a lot of people that have had to go through that kind of experience. So it can kind of kind of you know trigger some things for them which is pretty rough um but the game's amazing it's just it's it's unique and and different and and just so daring and i'm really really happy it's in the marketplace uh but i was buying a copy of it and i know i know rory o'connor and, and, and michael fox the guys behind hub games behind it and they make great stuff um and and i'm standing there paying for it and this guy just randomly goes hey you should make more videos <laughs> and I'm like, I love your videos. I wish you would make more. I'm like, oh wow, that's thank you. I haven't made a video in like five years. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, no, I know. I, I wish you'd make them again. And I'm like, thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> so I was, I, I ran into 14 different people that knew me as Talks and knew me from Crit Happen, and and I was amazed at that. And everyone was all, you know, yeah, man, I, I love your stuff. I wish you would still do it. So. It was it was very flattering and very nice. It was really cool. Yeah, that's awesome, dude. That's that's a yeah. I, I think you should make more too. I know you're so damn busy with everything, but it's uh, the thing, man. I just you know all I need in life is four more hours in the day. And I'll be good. <laughs> <laughs> I'd probably use those to nap if I, had I would. Four more hours I, I would. Too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, crazy. So, but yeah. In uh, in short, to answer your first question, Essen was good. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, man. What do you think? I think I know your answer because I think I read it before. Um, answer is 42. <laughs> no. What do you think about Brock Lesnar in the Universal <laughs> Championship? We're going to switch gears. Um, I think Brock Lesnar is the most misunderstood person in all of sports entertainment. That's what I think. <laughs> what do you mean by that? Uh, so for anyone who doesn't know, I am a huge, ginormous WWE fan, um, or WWF fan, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I used to, when I was a kid, I would go to the Poughkeepsie Mid-Hudson Civic Center and watch live events. And my very first live event for wrestling ever was watching in the main event, the U.S. Express, uh, which was Wyndham and Rotunda. 
defeat Nikolai Volkov and the Iron Sheik for the WWF Tag Team titles. And I was hooked. I thought it was the coolest thing ever. Um, I think currently, as of taping this with Brock Lesnar being the two-time now Universal Champion, he's misunderstood in that it's his fault. Right, like people, there, there's people who are upset that he's Universal Champion again, and I, I am. I don't like the fact that he's Universal Champion again. I think not the decision to put the belt on him is bad. I think the decision of how to put the belt on him was bad. Um, it was but... so. Let, let's talk about that for a sec because is when I was watching the match, uh, I work from home now, so I had it on in the. It really wasn't <laughs> right, right, right. So uh, I, I, I'm, I have it on in the background. Brock makes his entrance. I turn back to start watching. I see Corbin uh, hit hit Braun, and I'm like, okay, well, all right. So we're gonna get a Braun and and, and Corbin angle out of this, and right. I, I guess they're gonna put the thing on Brock. But then to to have the F5 happen, and then Braun kicked out. I like, oh, well, maybe Braun will win. And then to have another F5 happen immediately. And I'm like, oh, then it's over. And then he kicks out. And then by the third or fourth one, I pulled up my phone. I went to Messenger and I I found you. And I just said, are you watching this right now? Uh, It's just ridiculous. It's, you know, again, it's funny. I I really, I I get really wrapped around the axle around the business side of things. And, And that's one of the things that intrigues me greatly about WWE because while they are athletic and are, you know, very, you know, almost gymnastic like in what they do, the business of it and the marketing, because that's what it is. It's it's a marketing yeah. machine. These these characters, right? They're there's these larger than life, almost superhero like characters and super villain characters that just leap off the TV. And it's very soap opera and, you know, very dramatic and, and over the top written and everything. But you know it, what what they did with the main event at crown jewel from the glorious kingdom of saudi arabia that's a whole nother story we could get into <laughs> the, what they did with brock and braun would be akin to like literally baron zemo killing iron man in the next movie yeah it, it'd be crazy it, it destroyed all credibility. And, and I know there's been some articles like fan sided and bleacher report have done some things about, Oh, well it took a, a, a headshot with the belt and like four F five, five of them. I think. Yeah. Count the one where he threw him outside the ring, but I don't even know if you can count that as an F five or not. Right. But it's, everyone's like, Oh, well, you know, he kicked out all this and he did all that. I'm like, yeah, he had a kick like, like his whole, the monster among men, who's been built up to be this gigantic, huge, dominating machine, had a single right foot kick to Brock Lesnar as his only offense in the match. And it was a two-minute and 35-second match, which is ridiculous. I mean, Brock Lesnar has become the Mike Tyson of the WWE. His matches don't go long. When they go 10 minutes, it's like, whoa, this is amazing, right? But... My point about being misunderstood is that there's a lot of people that think, oh, well, this is just Brock throwing his weight around. And I don't believe that. I think at the end of the day, Vince McMahon has proven over the course of the last 50 years that he is a shrewd and brutal businessman. Yeah. 
and he will make the decision that he feels is what will propel his business forward. And when you go back and look from when we were kids at what the WWF was when he took over it and what it is now, it's unbelievable. I mean, it's just, it's from a business perspective to take something as decentralized and as backroom boys club as wrestling was in the 70s and turn it into a billion dollar industry that is just an absolute juggernaut of a conglomerate right now. It's just amazing. That that's pretty amazing. So I, I it's clearly Vince and whoever is making the decisions at that level, you know, their decision to do that. So I don't I don't blame Brock by any means whatsoever. I think I, I think the thing that's worse with what happened at Crown Jewel was Shane McMahon versus what happened with Brock Lesnar. So. I tur- so I want I want to have a point about the Brock thing, but while you mentioned Shane, I laughed so hard when Shane won the became the best wrestler in the world. I right, turned right. I turned it off when he's up on the thing. I completely forgot that we still had another match. The the Brothers of Destruction and DX uh you know the to to close the show the big big match of the show yep. i completely forget it was that outrageous what they did <laughs> of having shane interjected himself into the turn into a into a championship tournament right the best of the world tournament yep. at the very last he just says you know what this guy can't wrestle I'll take a spot and join the finals. And then he wins. Completely invalidated the entire reason <laughs> to have the tournament. And and in my opinion, it actually took away from one of the, the most important things to happen in wrestling in a long time, which is Kurt Angle getting pinned cleanly. Yeah, that was incredible. And I actually really enjoyed the amateur uh, the amateur wrestling between Dolph and and Kurt, yeah. because people don't know Dolph is an incredibly talented amateur wrestler. Well, he's um, in the Collegiate Hall of Fame for for wrestling. I yeah. mean, he's just he's amazing. And I've long said that Dolph Ziggler is he he is one moment away from Shawn Michaels. He he could have been the modern day Shawn Michaels had he been you know elevated at a different time in his career. I, I thought it was going to happen and, at uh, Survivor Series when they brought Sting back. Do you remember that? Whenever they had they had Dolph. Yeah, it would have been pretty good, yeah. but I, I don't. I think Dolph has hit his his ceiling. But seeing him pin Angle cleanly and the match was really, really amazingly technically good, and then completely invalidating all of that to have Shane win. Like in the back of my head, and this is the little thirteen year old boy in me who still loves wrestling for the Ultimate Warrior, shaking the ropes and everything like that. In the back of my head, I want to go to bed at night and say to myself really hope this is what brings CM Punk out of retirement. I really <laughs> hope this is what brings CM Punk out of retirement. Because to hear, like, the SmackDown before the event, he t- he made the comment, Shane made the comment about we're going to have the tournament to determine the best in the world. Yeah. It was New Jersey? I don't even remember where they were. They weren't in Chicago, and that's the most important thing. They weren't in Chicago, and the fans started chanting CM Punk like crazy. So much so that he actually on camera made the comment, he's not in the tournament. The fact that he even acknowledged that was huge, right? 
And apparently, I haven't watched it yet, but I saw some news reports that the the SmackDown that was taped in England today, that the same thing happened, that the CM Punk chant started. So there's like just this little tiny like millimeter of hope inside of me that maybe this is what brings Punk back. But I think think as soon as they're willing to pay him, um, I think bygones are going to be bygones. Uh, because you know, that's a tough, tough question. <laughs> he's not, he's not cutting it in the in the UFC, man. I don't know if you've watched any of his fights, but oh yeah, he's he's not. He's I mean, he he is no Brock Lesnar, right? Pardon the pun, but it's right. Like, um, have you have you ever read any of the transcripts from his trial against Doctor Amon? Uh, no, no. I just know the fallout between him and uh, Colt Cabana afterwards wasn't great. Yeah, so he. It, there's there's a lot of a lot of interesting things. There's actually a really good video online. Uh, it's like the ten most shocking revelations or something from from the CM Punk trial. Um, I, I think, which is his real name, I think he was in a really bad place two or three, maybe four years ago, and I, I really I question whether he understood the business at the time um you know at the time he wanted the main event wrestlemania and that was right around the time that they were doing the the rock versus john cena which uh-huh. the two biggest money matches they've ever had at wrestlemania with, with the the match and then the rematch and as great as he is and and yes in my opinion as one of the best in the world in certain terms of technical wrestling and, and storytelling in the ring you can't top that stuff, right? You, you can't top Brock and Cena at their height when there's so much demand for both of those guys. Yeah. And I, don't, I don't know. I, I think the only thing that would honestly bring him back would be a match against Triple H at WrestleMania and headlining WrestleMania. I don't think... Because that would be the story, right? It would be him coming back, fighting against the authority, all that stuff. Um, I think... Uh, I think Punk had the best angle. If you look at like 2000 and on, Punk's angle in 11 uh, when he was leaving the company and when he delivered the pipe bomb. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, It was phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. I don't think there's really ever been anything like it. There was was such a blurred line of, is this real? Is this not real? I mean, it almost felt as close to 1997 as you could get. Yeah masterfully did that and you know it, obviously he hasn't done well in in ufc so you know we'll see what happens but there there is a part of me that would really love to see shane go on this like you know boasting thing of being the best in the world and then they end up in chicago one night and cult personality hits and out comes cm punk and just the fans would just lose their crap <laughs> they would go they would go nuts so it'd it would be yeah fun. it'd be insane it would um I really like that. I, I I hope it could happen someday. I'm not. My favorite no, part I, of Crown Jewel actually had nothing to do with wrestling. My my favorite part of Crown Jewel was after it was all said and done. It was all over, and DX had beaten the Brothers of Destruction. Sean <laughs> is collapsed in the corner of the ring, down next to him, and they're hugging each other. The cameras caught Shawn Michaels saying quite clearly. Works are old for this shit. Yeah, <laughs> I thought that was wonderful. I was like, "That's two guys 
who are best friends, who've done this their whole life, and in my opinion, are doing the business side of it better than anyone ever has because those two are in charge of NXT and NXT is the bomb in terms of American wrestling. So it is. Yeah. It's the best. I think NXT is the, is the bomb in terms of wrestling period. Um, I don't know. And new Japan's pretty good. <laughs> new, new Japan's great. And I'm not saying that it's not great, but, um, uh, there's only no self finishers. You can only see no self finishers so many times. And that, that seems to be the magic in most of the new Japan matches. They let them work for 20, 30 minutes or whatever until they hit the time limit. But they also no sell five finishers on the way to there. And it, it does take 10 one wing angels to pin Okada. So <laughs> yeah. or 18 rainmakers or whatever, you know, it's just, exactly, exactly. Uh, and it's great because you get those epic matches And the thing. And, and I forgot who it was, but somebody mentioned the the best way to get rid of to, to, to fix WWE, WWE wrestling. I think I saw a YouTube video on this. Um, is to remove the immediate rematch clause. I saw uh, that. Yes. And, yeah, and I agree. It, it's an incredible idea because they don't have that in New Japan and some of these other organizations. Um, yeah, well, Okada lost. He had to like go through an entire change. He he had to work his way back into it. And yeah, I, it's, it's like a whole new story they just developed, and we don't get that that crazy fatigue that we see with these WWE matches on the main card, where we get well, Bobby Lashley versus Finn Balor four weeks in a row. When really, oh, like everybody wants to see Finn Balor in the main event, let us let us have it. Give it to if us. I have to watch Basic Gable versus The Ascension one more time, I'm going to puke. <laughs> I know, like it's just, come on, like you've got, you've mix it up. You've got the biggest, most talented roster of in-ring workers maybe ever, right now under contract. As long if you can keep them from getting injured, um, mix it up. We yeah. don't need to see it's the same an, thing every week. Interesting, it's an interesting business, right? You know, it's it's uh, you you need. I remember seeing an interview with Vince McMahon once, and this was like in the 80s, like right around when it was becoming more publicly apparent that he was not just an announcer and you know his dad owned it and he yeah, had taken yeah. ownership of it and stuff like that. And he said the key to wrestling success is knowing what your fans want to them. And I thought that was so poignant because it was all about Hulk Hogan. It was all about the hero's journey and, you know, the great Hulkamaniac and everything like that. And and then you look back, you know, to the Attitude Era and, and all the things that happened. And, and really, to me, the thing that defines the Attitude Era is the monies and the chase, right? You know, it was yeah. great to see Austin as the champion, but you really liked Austin chasing the rock a lot more than, you know, the, the vice versa. So... Yeah, it's it's an interesting business and it's an interesting thing when you take a step back and realize, you know, how do you and book these matches and write these stories in a way that develops the characters to a meaningful point where people are willing to buy into the brand of the character. Um and and that's the tough part. I think that's the toughest part the business has to deal with right now is that you you develop these characters so big, like, like John Cena, right? You know, there's always people who want John Cena who to become a bad guy. John Cena will never be a bad guy ever. Like I, I just, he's so ingrained with things like charity work and big brothers and big sisters and, and, you know, pediatric cancer and stuff like that. Like there would be articles, like if John Cena turned heel, 
there would be articles about children dying because they were so upset about it. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> That's the last press they want, right? They, they don't want that. So I think they paint themselves into a corner sometimes. And uh, I, I think um, one of my favorite wrestlers, and, and not, not because of who he was in the ring, but who he was in real life, was Brian Pillman. Oh, yeah. He was so different, and he thought about things so differently, and I loved that. He wasn't always the most stable person mentally. <laughs> I think he was a little, you know, what you saw on this TV screen might have been a little what you saw in real life. Sure. Uh, but I think about somebody like him and what he would fit into in the, the like mold of the WWE today. And it, it's very hard, right? I don't think a lot of guys from the post-attitude pre-PG era would really have made it. So, and that's like Dolph. That's what I think is wrong with Dolph. I think if Dolph had been around five years earlier, he would have been the next Shawn Michaels. I think he would have lit up the, the end of the Attitude Era and been absolutely amazing. And and he just got stuck in this area between the end of the Attitude Era and the beginning of the PG area. And, yeah, that that reality area, area or whatever the heck they were calling uh, it. Yeah, my wife calls it the Vicky Guerrero era, I think. Because <laughs> it just seems to be the problem with it. But, you know, it's like... I tell you where I lost it. Whenever when when the announcers started calling Dolph the next Shawn Michaels and they started making that 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 correlation, they're trying to make that correlation on air. And, it down throat, and, yeah. and Dolph started tuning up the band before he hit the super kick. Uh, yeah. that's when I was like, "Ah, oh, come on, man." And I remember reading a tweet um or maybe it wasn't a tweet, but it was Shawn Michaels basically saying, yeah, he shouldn't have done that. Like he shouldn't have tuned up the band or whatever. Uh, And then they kept doing it after that character, right? Don't, you know, if somebody walked out and tried to be like the undertaker, it just, it wouldn't work. Right. You gotta, you gotta be your own thing and develop your own thing. And then you look at a lot of the guys that are, are on the rise, so to speak. Um, The guys are doing really, really well. There's the guys that are developing their own characters. Um, you know, there's some that are kind of, you know, I guess knockoffs and stuff from older style people. But, you know, AJ Styles is his own man. He's his own character. Yeah. Seth is his own man and his own character. Uh, Becky Lynch. Uh, Becky's. She is, Becky's she the, is best, the man. Best thing in wrestling right now, in my opinion, because it's organic. They ran with it as it got organic, and and this is the side of her that I think everybody has wanted to see from a character perspective, right? But then then you look at other people, and you look at guys like Pete Dunne from NXT UK, uh-huh. and you look at Tomasa Ciampa, and they're not characters, but they are characters, and and just they're very unique in that way, right? Um, so yeah, I, I think it's it's they not done that he probably would have had a better shot right yeah but it's funny because at the same time there's guys who are absolutely and amazing that can't get over to save their life um apollo cruz is the first person that comes to my mind you know apollo the part in every sense i mean he is a good looking guy from from his face perspective yeah he unbelievably ripped from a body perspective he can do moves that should not happen like like he's like 250 or 260 and he does like standing shooting star presses yeah it's incredible and you know if you he's the same size as big e and b is not going to do the moves that apollo cruz does right 
Uh, Bobby Lashley is the same size as Apollo Crews. Well, Apollo's maybe a little shorter, but I mean, you know, Bobby's not going to do the moves that Apollo Crews does. And he can't get over. Apollo cannot get over to save his life. Uh, it's 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 a pretty interesting fickle business. So, do you think that's because he doesn't have the mic skills? I know I, he stumbled before, and, and when I thought when they were going to pair him with Titus, and that whole Titus Worldwide thing was going to happen. Um, but but they, Titus World Slide, get it right? World Slide, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, I, I thought that maybe it could be done something, but he really, I think he needs a manager that's going to help propel him. Like like they're doing with Leo Leo Rush and Bobby Lashley is a pretty great pairing um, because it makes right. Bobby about, Lashley a little bit more interesting, I think. Because Leo Rush, you, 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 you want to see him get punched. Leo Rush more interesting. <laughs> I don't, dude, Bobby Lashley is so boring to me. He right. Is no, he so is. Boring. He is, but now we have a guy. Well, one he looks. If you saw Bobby Lashley in a dark alley, you're walking the other way. Yeah, that guy I, looks like a monster. I I would run fast enough to give myself a heart attack. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But now he now he has a mouthpiece that is just so. Oh dang, man! You just want to you want to grab him by his throat and just say, "Shut up for a second. Let's watch a wrestling match." You don't have to say. It's like when um uh. When Francesca made its debut, uh, when New Day was heel, man, that Trump that trombone was terrible. But then it it got so awesome, right? Like I think that moment needs to happen with those two. Um, here's here's you know there's there's certain questions in life I want answered. Like there's there's many things I can go to the grave with and be perfectly fine without knowing or caring or giving a crud as to what the actual truth is. But one of the things in the universe that I want explained to me is why that hell does bobby lashley wear a bandana <laughs> i'm i'm bald right and and i sweat and, and work out and granted i don't do the stuff bobby lashley does but i i've never seen another bald wrestler right big show doesn't do it no. apollo's bald he doesn't do it like i've never seen anybody else wear a bandana and i'm like are you trying to be a basketball player are you not trying to be a basketball player what are you trying to tell me with this it doesn't look right. Like Cesaro doesn't come to the ring with a, a bandana on. It's just it's weird looking. And he, and then he starts to wear the baseball hat, and I'm like, I can't figure out what I think about Bobby Lashley. I I, I, I don't know. I, you know, to answer your question, the thing that I think doesn't get Apollo over, and I think that's about Finn Balor too. Stop smiling. Oh, and, I, and love, Ron, I love I love the Balor smile. Guilty. Yeah, Ronda's guilty of this as well, right? You come out and you're like, oh, hey, everything's great. Hey, like, no, look, I'm I'm partly watching this show for the competitiveness. I don't want to see you come out and be all smiles and laughs. Like I want to I want to see depth to your character, right? If you're always the same thing, unless you're the Undertaker, it just doesn't work, right? You know? Right. No, you're 100 percent right. The yeah. differential emotion, and I, I think you know, Carmella's doing that now. Carmella's doing a great job of transitioning from a heel to a face, and being funny and being comical in a role that that really suits her really well. I think so. I, I think Apollo still has all the tools, but I don't think he's ever going to main event. I don't think he's ever going to be given the shot to do it at all. So it's it's going to take some. It's going to take a big moment. Um, Gosh, you remember, and it didn't really go well for him afterwards because he was just too small. Um, but when when Sin Cara hit that Salida del Sol um, off the ladder, off yeah. the ladder, I mean, he needs a moment like that. He needs that 
OMG wrestling video game moment. Um, I think to help him transition, and he needs he needs to develop some sort of character. Because you're right, um, I, I disagree with you a little bit on Finn's smile uh, because I think Finn's smile, his whole thing is as the leader of Balor Club. You know, everyone is is available, right? He wants to be the most accessible thing uh, always, yeah. Um, yeah. and that's just the duality for when the demon comes. Um, yeah, because how could something so been a fan of new japan pro wrestling and seen him be as evil as he was like this is like it's like watching a nazi <coughs> in a fourth of july parade it's just weird right it just I, doesn't work <laughs> I, I think i think bad guy devitt you know that that version of Prince, uh, finn balor is going to be um here maybe next year i think it needs to come sooner than later um uh, but they, there needs to be some stakes with it. With Shinsuke, when when they turned Shinsuke heel in the beginning of the year, after he won the Royal Rumble and all that, I'm like, oh, this is it. Like, like you know, Devitt's gonna switch. He's gonna jump from yeah. Raw to SmackDown. They're gonna attack AJ, and it's gonna be Bullet Club all over again. And and then it was just Nutshot Central, and that's all it was. It was just terrible. So yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, yeah, I, I I'm still holding out for Shinsuke. Uh, I'm holding out for a lot of the guys on the main roster still. I think um, I think they've they've misused Shinsuke so bad I can't even describe it. Um, here's my question for you: Of uh-huh. anybody on the roster today who's not in the main event, who do you think has the opportunity to either break out and become a huge star, single, or break out and become heavyweight champion one day? Balor. That's unfair. He's already been champion. He's he's been universal champion. Okay, okay. So anybody that that that, that is not, not champion not event, yet, not has never been main event yet, has has not been main event status, and has the chance to break out. Right? Like I'm talking about guys like Carl Anderson, like Jey Uso, like Grand Metalik, like Elias, guys I, like that. Yeah, I think there's 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 a couple, um, but the first one is Mr. Tranquilo himself, Andrade Cien Almas. Yeah, yeah, he is. He is incredible. His work with uh, Los Ingrenables is is some of the best ever. Even, um, <laughs> I mean, he's just he's just so good, and you you get to see little shades. They haven't let him fully unleash yet, but um, I'm waiting for that moment to happen. Um, and I did not like him when I first saw him. When I first, well, the first when he time first I came to NXT, NXT, I hadn't really seen him before that, and I started doing research on him after he came to NXT, and he was good he wasn't great he was kind of good and then they paired him up with Zelina and yeah to me Zelina and Andrade are like the modern day macho man and Elizabeth they're they they are are a perfect perfect uh team yeah they really are you're right uh he's mine yeah and this this is one nobody every time I ask this question nobody Most most people drop names like you know Rusev and Elias and things like that. I think Jay Uso has a chance to become one of the biggest stars in wrestling. Really, yeah. away from his brother, away from his brother. I think if they were to do it right, the Usos have been on a tear in the last two years. I don't think there's been a better tag team in the WWE than the Usos. They've killed it on the mic for They've sure. Killed it in the ring. Their hell in the cell match against the New Day was just unrealistically insane and jay to me has developed the most out of anybody i think if they were to pull some kind of like sean and marty thing between jay and jimmy uso 
Jay could move on and do something unbelievable. I, I think Jay, the stretch, and a lot of people think I'm crazy, I think Jay could be as big as The Rock one day in terms of wrestling. I, I think he's got all the skills and all the talent. Huh. I'd love to see it for sure. I think the Usos are phenomenal. I think they're 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 really fun to watch. They're good in the ring. Um, you know who else I like? And this is silly, and and I get teased about this a little bit in my wrestling circle. Um, I'm gonna say the name, and you probably won't know who he is. I like Greg Hamilton. Who is Greg Hamilton? That's the first thing everybody says. Everyone's like, I don't know who the hell Greg Hamilton. Is. <laughs> Greg Hamilton is the SmackDown announcer. Oh yeah. Oh you mean the you mean the WWE Crown Jewel announcer. He so I grew up with Howard Finkel, right? You know, yeah. Fink was the man. He was, you know, every, he was the voice of WWE. And as much as I love Lillian Garcia, I absolutely adore everything about Lillian Garcia and what she meant to wrestling being a dominant strong female in that ring as an announcer. I thought that was really cool. Greg to me embodies so much of the new millennia of wrestling when it comes to that because his voice is so unique and how he delivers a lot of his introductions like how how he announces shinsuke nakamura is one of the most unique ways to introduce a wrestler and how to pronounce their names and everything and i know this is like really nerdy and stupid and everyone listening to the podcast is like wow he likes wrestling way too much and that's true i do (laughs) (laughs) but hamilton nails it like he is like michael buffer level of announcing in my opinion i think he's just he's he's one of the unsung superstars of, of wrestling that nobody pays attention to yeah, he's great. He was actually he was actually really good in, in Crown Jewel. I mean, I think he was a bright spot there. Uh, I, one of the things I liked about Crown Jewel was how they did the announcing. And this is what pains me even more back to the whole Shane McMahon thing. They take the time to introduce people in this Best in the World Cup as 13-time world champion, ring or uh, you know, Royal Rumble winner of 2013. They do all these accolades yeah. and then they just erase it with Shawn Michaels, <laughs> or I mean with uh, Shane McMahon. Yeah, it was, was crazy. Like, but it was crazy. Yeah, no, it was good. It was good. Uh, you know what? I guess something that's interesting about Crown Jewel is I haven't talked about uh, an event that WWE main card has put on like this in a while. Uh, for for for, for for worse or worse, um, it's got people talking about it. Like I, that was one of my my just made this comment. He's like, well, I mean, everyone's talking about it, right? And 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 he made a really good point. He said. If Braun had won, would it have been in the headlines? No. Uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, it wouldn't, right? It just yeah. if if and he made the comment if Braun won now, it would not be as big of a a thing. And and in most cases, he felt that the reason they put it on Brock Lesnar was to completely ignore the fact that it was happening in the quote unquote glorious kingdom of Saudi Arabia. So, you know, I think that, that there is some truth to that. It's, hey, don't don't look over here in the right hand. Look over here in the left hand. Look, yeah, Brock, yeah. Brock Lesnar's your champion, right? You know, things like that. But, you know, it's – is it good? <laughs> I don't know, right? He did make the comment, and I thought it was unique. He said, think about this. So Brock walks into UFC holding the Universal Championship. Let's say he wins. Let's say he actually beats uh, Daniel Cromier. And he takes the UFC title and comes to the WWE on beats him. Then that makes tons of headlines. And I'm like, 
<laughs> yeah. So. So, so I was I was going to make up that point earlier about Brock. Um, you know, DC beat Derek Lewis on Saturday. Uh, Derek Lewis is an extremely talented uh, puncher, right? He didn't really have the veteran experience that DC's got. I don't know how much cage fighting you watch. Uh, but DC's incredible. I've been following him since Strike Force um, when he won the Heavyweight Grand Prix, um, which had guys like Alistair Overeem and Fedor Emelianenko in it. Um, you know, really legit heavyweights. Really one loss, right? I mean, he's like twenty-three and one or twenty-two and one or something like that. Yeah, his only loss in the UFC is to is to John Jones. I mean, who is an incredible fighter. So when they talk, yeah, start yeah, tossing yeah. Brock's name out there, and they're like, "Hey, we're gonna get this John Jones Brock Lesnar super fight going." Uh, I'm like, holy crap, sign me up. That's going to be incredible. And then all of a sudden, Brock stumbles into the octagon and pushes Daniel Cormier around. I'm like, whoa, 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 hang on. Because DC's a diehard wrestling fan, too. Uh, Yeah. You know, that's the only hard part, right? And I hate to to say it like this because it makes fun of my own passion, but it's like, no BS. Like, they're want to kill you. Their whole livelihood and paycheck revolves around beating the death out of you and and pummeling you and one of the baddest men on the planet brock lesnar inarguable whether you you know care about wrestling from an athletic perspective or not the dude's athletic and he's amazing and he's done football and he's done ufc he's done wrestling and all that stuff but he's gonna walk into the easily the biggest ufc fight in the last five years against cormier and says i'm the best at predetermined wrestling. <laughs> yeah, no. See, that's the thing. Like, Brock is a legit cage fighter. People forget about that. I know, but but the belt, but the whole, like, if he walks in there... In oh, the with the belt. I see what you're saying. Belt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm the best at fake stuff. <laughs> and then, and Cormier is going to hold his belt up and go, I'm the best at real stuff. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? his belts. He's the light heavyweight and heavyweight champion right now. He's got two yeah. of them. And, and, like, if I'm Dana White, value whatsoever from a business standpoint of Brock showing up or not showing up with the universal title. There is there, there are no more ticket sales. There are no more merchandise sales. Brock Lesnar is Brock Lesnar with or without that belt to him and and to the UFC fan base. The other way around, if you're Vince McMahon walking into WWE with the UFC championship, that is everything. Like yeah. that is so so much like legitimacy to the WWE at that point, right? For sure. And uh, the scary thing is, is that Brock's got a really good chance in that fight. I think. I think uh, he does. I mean, uh, he's. I think he's actually like, in terms of like reach. I think he's got a better reach than Cormier does. He's got an eighty-one inch reach. Yeah, <laughs> think insane. about that. His like wings, like vertically <laughs> so i mean brock is one of the greatest collegiate wrestlers ever um dc is an olympian level wrestler i mean it's it's dc's probably got better hands i know and he definitely has better hands than brock lesnar at least last time we saw him in against mark hunt uh so it's just it's just an incredible matchup i think it's a bad matchup for dc um just from the size and speed advantage brock is a monster I mean, he really is an incredible specimen. Deceptive about him, and you could see it at Crown Jewel. He's leaned down even more, which is is pretty amazing given how big Brock is physically. But he he is deceptively fast, and and that's that's going to be the thing that's really going to hurt Cormier. I think is that 
And, and plus, DC's a little cocky right now. And I, I think especially, yeah. you know, beating Lewis as, as soundly as he did, I think, I mean, wasn't it, it was, was it, it wasn't round one. It was round two. Round two, yeah. Yeah, and it was fast. It was not not a long fight so i mean he he's he's pretty on top of the world right now he might end up taking brock a little bit for granted right yeah they're actually talking about him uh doing some sort of fox correspondence for smackdown whenever that show gets moved over next year or something <laughs> or two years whenever that whenever the move comes is it, is it next year for that move. i think i think that move is going to coincide with triple h control over the company because that was his baby, uh, his idea of you know making that that move from USA to to Fox, and I I think I think that brings nothing but good things to the business of WWE right now. Oh, I agree, man. Uh, these these guys that are on the mid card right now, I'm hoping they stick around. Um, you know, guys like you know some of my favorite my favorite wrestlers are the mid card, lower card guys in in on the main card. Uh, guys like Tyler Breeze, Ty Dillinger, uh, Sami Zayn. Um, I mean, Kevin Owens is probably one of my, my favorite workers. Hopefully he's he's back and healthy next year. Um, he's in like double knee surgery or something right now. It's kind of crazy. It is wild. And he was working. Like, he was working with a lot of those injuries, you know. Yeah. yeah. I think Drew McIntyre and Elias have great potential. I, I think Finn, unfortunately, has lost all of his a hope to, to move forward. I do like KO. I think KO is absolutely hilarious. Um, it's uh, there's actually to me enjoyment lately out of watching a lot of the international wrestlers than, than the U S based wrestlers. Um, a lot of guys in like NXT UK and stuff like that. Great show um, too. It's really fun to see our truth getting a push again. And, and even though nothing may come of it, just, Seeing him do some fun stuff with Carmella is really cool. Um, there, there's some people though, like Finn, like Rusev. I think have passed by. Like Joe, I think Joe's done. Yeah, Samoa Joe. That guy needs. Hit, that guy yeah. needs something, man. He has put on a win. He needs <laughs> a, yeah. Oh yeah, you're right. He needs a win, and well, he, he lost every match to AJ. He lost every match to Roman. It's like it, it's ridiculous. He's he's. He's the biggest loser in the WWE right now. He is, uh, but he's incredible at the same time. Like he, he is the comp from a company standpoint. They're going to say, "Hey, guess what? You're going to be in the main event again. Awesome. That's great. What do yeah, I got to do? Pay. Why is you're happy? Yeah, you got to lose. Okay. Again, yeah. it's the this is the fifteenth time this year that you've had me lose. Yeah, you yeah, got me lose again. Comment the other All day right. that Samoa Joe is the raw Rusev. <laughs> <laughs> It's what he is. It's crazy. So that's funny. Uh, I'll tell you this, and also we can kind of wrap up on this uh, wrestling stuff, and maybe maybe even the podcast. We've been over an hour now. Um, Sorry. One of the things that's yeah, you know, no, just video game wise, and then we have to hit the whole trifecta. But yeah, <laughs> um, NXT in NXT UK, and even two hundred five live. Uh, what's really great about all those shows, besides them just being an hour. Um, they all have some incredibly diverse characters, specifically NXT. Um, I don't, I don't remember a time where you can watch a wrestling show where you have characters like um, Adam Cole um, and the Undisputed Era, who are amazing. Um, guys like Velveteen Dream, Aleister Black, Tommaso Ciampa, uh, Johnny Gargano. I mean, you have 
you have all those incredible guys, and then they're bringing in still some of the best independent wrestlers ever, like Keith Lee. Uh, Lee, yeah, Keith Lee's the first one that comes to my mind, right? Keith Matt Lee Riddle, even. Like, the king of the bros is here now. I mean, Keith Lee should not have ever made it to WWE. Just the look, he looks so different. And that's what I love about Keith Lee. He looks like a dude you go get a beer with. Yeah. He does not look like a wrestler. He does not look like a guy who's going to be all dramatic about stuff. And yet Keith Lee, superstar. I mean, that guy is just total. I can easily see within five years a main event of Lars Sullivan versus Keith Lee for the heavyweight title. Yeah. That would be an unbelievably amazing. It'd be awesome. If you, if you guys if you guys are still watching this, you non-wrestling fans, do yourself a favor, go to YouTube, look up Keith Lee versus Leo Rush. Uh I think it's at a, a PWG show and it is super super fun. Um the crap that Leo Rush allows Keith Lee to do to him is is remarkable. Um <laughs> check it out. It's just but it's great I, I though. Think- if anyone wants to Google a match, if you've never watched wrestling and you've gotten all the way through this and you want to want to watch a match, and I mean really watch a match, Tyler Bate, NXT TakeOver. Un of a match in terms oh, incredible, of yeah. storytelling, psychological, actual ability in the ring, all that stuff was just unbelievable. No matter what we all said tonight and what we all talked about tonight and what we all believe, the reality is the next like rock, I think, has already been anointed and been decided at the Triple H level. I think it's Ricochet. Ricochet yeah. is going to be pushed to the frickin' moon, and, and rightfully so, because back when he was Prince Puma in Lucha Underground, uh-huh. I was like, oh, my God, this guy is dripping with success. <laughs> Yeah, he's incredible, man. It, just to see him, uh, his his work with Velveteen Dream uh, and Adam Cole. I mean, the, the stuff with Adam Cole for the North American Championship was incredible. Uh, but when he, when Velveteen Dream says, anything you can do, the Dream can do better. And uh, Ricochet leaps over the top rope, <laughs> rope, lands on the ring apron, or lands on the ramp and just says, show me. Like, <laughs> it just... I was... That was the first moment that my oldest son swore in front of me. Well, <laughs> we, were, we were watching that, and my oldest son is kind of like a casual wrestling fan, and that happened, and he jumped over the top and landed on his feet on the apron right in his face, and my oldest son went, holy shit. <laughs> I mean, that was such an amazing moment, and that, that's what Ricochet is known for. I mean, you talk, you talk about making memories. like that, That's what Ricochet does for sure. Yeah, it's just it's just great, man. It's it's a it's still it's I'll say this. It's an easy trap to fall in to get so jaded with something so completely fake and entertaining, right? Like we do with WWE. Um sure. we, we I think we need to step back and remind ourselves this is I think the new golden age of wrestling. You got this new crop of guys from the indies that are all popping up everywhere on NXT. And the stuff in New Japan right now, and and Ring of Honor. Uh, we saw a Ring of Honor show over the summer, and it was incredible. Um, Look at all in, right? I mean, I'm yeah, I'm still 100 percent confident. If Cody and the Elite wanted to turn around and say, you know what, we're going to do an all in once every three months, I think they'd crush it, absolutely crush it. I think they would too. Uh, part of me hopes that they're that the Elite are bound for WWE. Um, they, they've been doing a lot of they've been doing a lot of really heavy handed hinting. Uh, on their YouTube show, um, yeah. being the elite, but 
they, they could be all doing that just to get a rise out of everybody too. So who knows? To see. Okay, so now video games. We need to talk about video games. <laughs> are you playing anything right now? You got one, and I got one because I know that our boys are connected on them. Or have you gotten Diablo three on the Switch? I have not, but oh. I, I I did just beat it uh, on uh, uh, hardcore seasonal on the hardest difficulty. Uh, we ended up going up to Torment two. Uh, it was awesome. Damn, that's a damn moment. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's pretty good. We we lost one of our four um, oh, in Act right. Four. He was he was the wizard. He was hanging out in front, and then I said I said Matt, you want to step back, buddy, because I got yeah. a bad feeling about one of us tonight. And he's like, No, I got it, I got it. And then just the trash mobs died instantly. Like went terrible. from 100 percent health to zero. And he's like, Guys, I died. And we all looked up like, Shut up, because we've been doing that joke for every session, right? Right, and then right, sure so enough, sure. he was dead. And I was like, "Oh no!" <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, I, I I don't own it on the Switch yet. More than likely, will I'm debating about potentially buying another Switch just for it, so that I don't have to wrestle my boys to get my Switch away. But man, it looks good. It looks, you know, there there was a lot of ton of hate coming out of BlizzCon and, and people, you know, I wanted Diablo Four and you know all that stuff, and I, and I was disappointed with it too. But even the whole Diablo Immortal thing with the the phones and the devices and all that it looks cool. I mean, it looks looks interesting, but I yeah. I think the um, I think the Switch from everything I've read and from everything I've seen and and watching a lot of video and and seeing it played in person, it may be the most complete. And I don't mean in terms of content, but I just mean in terms of the total package, the the complete Diablo experience. Um, the most impressive video, there's a video online that these guys uh, literally try to break the switch and the frame rate by just clustering all these monsters. <laughs> and, and when they do the count, it's literally, it's something like 900 something different monsters are on the screen at once. And all four players are playing Wi-Fi connected together and it's smooth as butter. I mean, it's just, it's unbelievable. And I'm like, whoa. And then my brain immediately starts thinking, Civilization Six is coming out on the Switch later this year. Oh, is it really? I didn't know about that. And Civ on, on iPad and iPhone and all that is unbelievable. I mean, it is the PC game brought into a digital, like, portable format. And I, I was thinking to myself the other day, when I was a kid, I used to have to go to my friend's house to play Nintendo. Because it was not like it is now, right? Like now, every house on the street block has an Xbox or has a PS4. For sure. And when I was growing up, it was like, hey, we had to all go over to Keith's house to play Nintendo because we didn't have one. And and they were only like 50 bucks, but you couldn't get one because your parents wouldn't pay for one, right? It was just the way it was. Um, and even if you did, you didn't have a TV in your room. You only had one TV in the house. So you either hooked it up to that and hoped your dad wasn't watching TV so you could play Nintendo. That's <laughs> just the way it was, right? <laughs> Yeah, I remember the most one of the most defining. I don't know if it's the most defining, but one of the most defining moments to me, human being engaged in video games, was when the Turbo Graphics portable system came out, the TG sixteen that you could use the same used in the Turbo Graphics sixteen home system on the to go system. Yeah, and it was like whoa, like. 
this is the same game. Like, it's not even, like, a port of the same game. Like, it's literally physically the same card. And I, I still think the TG-16 was just way ahead of its time. In terms it was. Of what it was and where it did. Um, I would race home from school to my friend Adam's house, and we would play that system so much. But I remember that handheld system, and I remember thinking to myself, man, I can't wait for the future when I'm old enough to play these games in my hand, wherever I am, wherever I want to go. And I realized the other day, <laughs> that's like right now. Yeah. Like Diablo is, in my opinion, one of the greatest games of the last decade, Diablo 3. Like you can play it on the toilet. <laughs> and you can and you can play it in the bus station and you can play it on the go and and Civ, one of the greatest like 4x games is about to be the same way it, it already is in some cases with the phone and, and and devices and stuff like that and the level of complexity and a level of gameplay that are in these things right now that are in your hands and and i think a lot of people are just taking it for granted but it's like it, it's um, unbelievable and amazing to me so i'm i'm really there's so much more in the video game world that's going to happen. And I just, I, I look forward to every second of it. Oh, me too, man. I've actually been playing a lot lately. Um, the last couple weeks I've been pretty video game heavy with Red Dead 2 and uh, the Fallout 76 beta. And even our, even our hardcore Diablo 3 run, we did that in the last two weeks. I think we did it on our stream and it was just, it's just fun, man. I don't know what it is about video games right now, but um I think it's probably because I don't have to like, I don't have to talk people into playing. Like sometimes you have to do that with a board game with with when San Angelo because there's not a whole lot of uh, variety in as far as the gamers, right? Yeah, it's like San Angelo. <laughs> yeah, well, I know, I know in bigger cities like Austin. I mean, you guys play games a day near every night, right? Like if not every night. Sure. <laughs> um, it's harder for me to say, hey guys, come over and play a video game because you know there's commitments and whatnot, and the sometimes you can't get your normal gaming group together. Uh, and there's something just nice about pushing a button and the screen comes on and then you're instantly playing there's no setup there's no cleanup it's just you're in you get to play um and there's some really cool stories red dead redemption 2 is pretty phenomenal uh story-wise so far can't get into it i don't know why i i I want to and and like there's a part of me that just because all my friends want to i want to but there's there's part of me i just i don't know what it is i just can't get it and it's funny and i'm i'm gonna get lambasted for this i really don't like fallout at all oh (laughs) really i like fallout the 3d isometric one because oh yeah yeah okay time the story was so dramatically different than everything else i guess i guess that's what brings it back to me right it's the story yeah and i'm sure red Dead's story is amazing i just I don't know. Uh, maybe it's bad timing for me. Like my whole life in video games right now is either Civ or Arena of Valor on my phone or uh, Forza Horizon 4 on my Xbox. And, and like that, like if I have free moments to play video games, that one of those three is what I'm playing. So it's, uh, I, I just, I hate to sound like the old man at the end of the street. I just don't have time for anything else. <laughs> well, no, that's so like to get Red Dead Redemption too. It's been out for a couple of weeks, and I've probably put, I don't know, thirty something hours into it already. Uh, I still play it a couple of hours every night. Um, it's it's a challenge. Like it's a seventy hour game. Like if you don't, if you're not gonna put that kind of time into it, you're not gonna experience everything, right? You can go off hunting for eight hours straight and not kill every animal in the game, right? Or not every species of or whatever like it's just 
you really have to be able to dedicate it to 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 really experience it. And it, all of those games that you mentioned are games that you could pick up, play really quickly, and then drop like when something else comes around. Like it's it's not this a huge time true. commitment. This is very true. Very true. Yeah. I am looking forward to. Uh, the, one of the bigger announcements from BlizzCon, which was Warcraft Three Reforged. Uh, oh. You want to talk about story and and the stuff behind it? Uh, that was just such to me. Warcraft Three is the greatest RTS ever made, and, <coughs> and the story was phenomenal. And seeing what they've done and and how they've changed some of the stuff, but yet kept it similar and familiar enough. Man, it looks good. It looks really good. It looks really good. I spent an obscene amount of time playing War 3 and even Warcraft 2. Warcraft is probably my favorite video game franchise ever. Uh, Starcraft is a very, very close second. Um, In fact, Wings of of Liberty Starcraft 2, the first uh, piece of the Starcraft 2 world, um, may be my favorite RTS now that I say it out loud. Um, (laughs) But but War 3 is... is and was incredible. I mean, and it's just, it's a game that Regan's actually played through recently. Like, I was like, yeah, you should check out this game. And he loved it. Like, it's it still holds up. So the fact that they're remaking it, and they're not only remaking it, but they're going to keep up with things like balance changes that people have been complaining about for a decade, right? Yeah, like, let's, yeah. let's tune up this up so people can actually play this competitively again um, is really cool. I do like the whole the changes they made to the culling of Stratholme. I, I thought I remember the first time I played the culling of Stratholme scenario, and I was like, "Man, this is such an epic story!" And, yeah. and this is like twenty years ago, right? And it was like it was so heartbreaking of a story that Arthas felt like the only way to save his people was to kill his people, and it was like, "You know what?" It's like well, you're going all on Joker here. What are you doing, right? You know? Yeah. It was, it was so good, and and now it looks even better and even harder. So yeah, I'm. I'm I, I think it's an interesting tactic, right? Because it, it's it's a little crutch like because they do have one of the best RTSs in the world to lean on, but they are still making new things and good things for you to play with and enjoy. So, you know, I think it'll be interesting. I, I still think their fan base is clamoring for D four. Uh, I think from a PC perspective, you know, people want that. They 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 want to. You know, it's wonderful you're making mobile. It's wonderful you're making Switch. It's wonderful you have all these options, but give us something new, right? Um, things. I think they either need to make D4 or at least announce that they're making D4 and it's under development for the next two to 20 years, however long it's going to take, or they need a new class. I, I think if they were to turn around and drop a new class onto D3 and and blow people away with some something completely unique and completely new, I think that that would greatly satiate the beasts of war yeah I, and i would love to see druid back and it's not new um uh, but i really love druid shifter druids and uh, diablo 2 are really cool what i would really love to see i would love to see a bard i would oh. love to see a bard <laughs> utilizes his companions as the main person and he buffs them and supports them i think that would be amazing love it love that idea that's what I do. I just come up with great ideas. I just don't execute on them. <laughs> you make you make memories, Scott. Is what you do. I do. I make memories. <laughs> I don't make. Memories. <laughs> oh man. Well, all right, dude. Thank you so much for for joining me for this talk. It's always a pleasure to get down and talk with you. Um, Anytime, dude. I'm gonna go support your Patreon right now. <laughs> oh, you don't have to do that, but I certainly appreciate you saying it. Stuff. Hey, um, you want to leave the audience with any uh, words of wisdom? If you remember this old deal. Oh, any words of wisdom? Um, Buy low, sell high. That's my words of wisdom. (laughs) Incredible. 
Incredible. You should have bought into that WWF stock. May or may not have. I'll leave that alone. <laughs> <laughs> All right, brother. Thank you so much for giving me the time. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for giving us your time and listening to another episode of the show. Hope you really enjoy all the episodes and content that have been coming out of the podcast these last few weeks. Haven't missed a Friday yet. Last Friday, I got a little sick. You may have heard that in my voice. I'm getting over it now. So hopefully uh, when this episode airs this Friday, uh, which is, geez, what day is that? The ninth, the um, I will be 100% on the man and rolling dice and taking names. Um, that's a, that's somebody else's channel. Somebody else's podcast. Yeah, yeah but that's I can't to watch too or listen yeah. to. <laughs> I'll be I'll be kicking ass and taking names. How about that? That's what I was going to say, anyways. Um, again, so thank you. Until next time, we love you, and game on. Be the same. Mm.